Okay, so this is my first time recording solo, practicing basically speech patterns and see if I can keep a conversation flowing by myself. Because doing it with another person like MG, who kind of leads the bus, who is my podcast partner, he's kind of the Michael Jordan to my Scotty Pippen. I kind of like bouncing off of him. He kind of leads the train. So this is my first time to see if I can do this without lots of dead air. So here we go. Although I did read that Judd Apatow tells people that you want to bomb sometimes and kind of be comfortable with the weirdness and the silence because it's going to happen. I mean, I think everyone's going to have a bad day or everyone's going to have a joke that bombs or just an entire podcast or an entire comedy session that just isn't understood or isn't really as top tier. See right there, goofed up a little bit as they wanted it to be. So here's me fighting through it and see if I can get 15, 20, 30 minutes out of it and listen to it and see what the good parts are and what the bad parts are, how many times I say like, how many times I stutter, you know, just self-deprecating humor and just evaluating myself. So what am I gonna talk about? Well, I saw Back to the Future 2 last night well, Back to the Future Part 2, I guess, is the pro- appropriate title. First time I ever saw it, somehow it just slipped through the cracks. And wasn't that big a fan. Kind of surprised because I've heard a bunch of people my age in the 30 to 40 range saying that they like two better than one. And I just find that incomprehensible because one just kind of had this light, airy, kind of fun uh kind of 1950s Pleasantville kind of vibe to it. And it didn't, it seemed complicated with the time travel stuff, but it didn't seem to like fold in on itself and kind of get into the gears of time travel. Number two or part two gets into the whole like scientific part of time travel, which is interesting because, you know, there's three or four versions of Doc Brown running around and two or three Marty McFly's and they can't see each other or, you know, the space-time continuum will combust or, you know, someone will fade away from memory or who knows what happens because they're not really sure because, you know, this is the first time they're doing time travel too. And I don't know, just the second one felt kind of forced and just overly complicated. And they're trying to fold the past, the present, and the future, as well as like the wild, wild west past they're kind of hinting at for the third part. And it's just, it's a lot of balls in the air. And, you know, at a certain point, I'd rather have a movie doing one thing and doing it really well. You know, I mean, be Starbucks and just make excellent coffee. You don't need all the snacks and all that other stuff. Just give me a good cup of coffee that's reliable. And this movie is trying to give us six different, uh, six different kind of uh, like movies in one. And it just seems like it bit off a little bit more than they could chew, which is fine. I I respect, you know, them trying and going for it and kind of getting wild and ambitious. I'll never, I'll never hate a movie for trying really hard. I like that a lot. I mean, it's better than, you know, just underperforming or, I mean, they're just going for it. And also the acting, I mean, Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, 
it's rare to have two leads of a movie both just hamming it up and kind of being over the top, wild card, panicky, really kind of just can't be acting. Usually there's one of them that settles down the other. There's a straight man. You know, there's a Dean Martin or there's a, I don't know, there's a George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven. There's someone to reel it back in and to kind of bounce, make the other person bounce off that person. With this one, I mean, Marty McFly and Dr. Emmett Brown are kind of just in a tennis match of ridiculousness about who can say Great Scott the loudest and who can say, man, this is heavy in kind of a whiny, complainy, crazy voice while he's running around. I mean, Michael J. Fox in this movie runs and kind of leaps around more than anybody I've seen in kind of a sci-fi action comedy. He's got good <laughs> athletic skills, actually, though. He definitely has some kind of fast twitch. I can jump. Like, there's something parkour about him that he can kind of just skip over kind of fences or any kind of obstacle. And it's really satisfying to watch him kind of elude people on screen. So I don't know if that's just an inherent skill or retrain for this movie or what the deal is, but it was definitely fun to watch. And there, there are points of this movie that are really enjoyable because the, when they go to the future and they're talking about the self-lacing shoes and, you know, the hoverboards and the 3D movies and also the fun fact that it's 2015. So we're five years past what they envisioned for the craziest future. We're nowhere near any of that. So that's pretty amusing. And, you know, it's brightly colored and everyone's clothing is kind of, if Road Warrior was sold at Urban Outfitters kind of vibe. So that's what, that was really fun. And just, I mean, having actors like Biff, I mean, like having characters like Biff and Lorraine and Jennifer and just kind of everyone's young and bright. But the it really did bother me, though, that they had so much makeup uh, for aging. It's like, this was not, I mean, we're in a stage now where, you know, anyone can be any age when with a digital enhancement and makeup and wardrobe that we're pretty good at aging people 20 to 30 years. And it's being realistic in this movie. It looks like they're wearing like melting rubber masks of themselves that are like slowly melting that are going to melt within the next 30 seconds. Like this is the last of their aging. And it's hard to take the movie seriously when half the characters kind of have this weird, almost wax museum look to them. So I found that kind of hard to get past. Maybe uh, in 1989, it wasn't as big a deal or even it was revolutionary at the time. Obviously the special effects and you know, the 3d images are just really, really, really corny. But you know, at the time, what are you going to base it against? So, cause I think this movie was one of the first that really kind of took that and ran. It seems like on par with the abyss, which was the James Cameron underwater movie. And the technology seems on par. So this is, it seems like this was as good as it gets when it came to computer effects uh, during that time period. So I'm not going to complain as much about that, but uh even though, even though I really have some issues with it, it's definitely entertaining as a movie. Like I definitely had my mouth half open, kind of smiling. There's some like clever nods to the past, the future, just fun jokes, 
and they're eluding me, right? Well, I guess if I can't really quote any of the jokes and they're all kind of eluding me, then I guess it wasn't as memorable as it should have been. And also, I mean, I mean, the whole fact that Marty kind of has a failure life 20 years from now is kind of a bummer that he went through all that in the past to put his life back together and to put his family back together. And in that timeline, regardless of the fact that, you know, everyone was good when he was in high school, it seems like he kind of diverted and took a path that was as sad as his dad's was before everything got changed. So that was kind of a downer. You kind of want to see the, you know, Marty and Doc Brown kind of be, you know, happy and also kind of enjoy the fruits of all their labors. Cause I mean, it took a lot in the first movie with the lightning storm and everything else. And also to reintroduce his mom and his dad together. So they would fall in love. And Oh, side note, Elijah Wood is in this movie as a little kid playing a video game for like 10 seconds. So that's amazing. And Bruce Lee's kid, Jason Lee is one of Biff's kind of intense uh, bouncer friends and you know, wearing that road warrior stuff. So that was fun. I really enjoyed that. And kind of sad that he's died, that he's dead. But I guess that's the curse of their family. They just kind of die early and it's such a bummer. Although I, I have never seen a Bruce Lee movie. And I wonder if they're really as good as people say they are. All I know is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar kicks him in one movie and he has a footprint like from his chest to his belly button because Kareem's so big and <laughs> Bruce Lee's like like five foot six, something small like that. So I found that really amusing and kind of, I don't know where I saw it, but I just found that really, I mean, it's just kind of stuck in my brain. So, oh, and Billy Zane's in this movie too, as just kind of one of the evil henchmen with Biff in the 1950s. And I feel like Billy Zane never got like a fair shake. I liked Phantom a lot. He was actually a decent superhero before superhero movies were, you know, gigantic and big. And that was a fun kind of old school uh, like 1960s Hollywood glamour kind of uh, superhero, you know, and they had like the big production sets where it felt like Indiana Jones or Romance in the Stone. And, you know, you couldn't pick a better bad guy for Titanic, you know, and he's like, I have a child. And he, to get on the, uh, to get on the lifeboats. I thought that was really neat, but yeah, his career just didn't go anywhere. And he's a really handsome guy too. I mean, I don't, I don't, and he could act. I don't understand what happened. Why he's a kind of just a third or fourth thought. And it's like, oh yeah, he was in, you know, big movies like Back to the Future 2 and Titanic and Phantom. But I guess we all have roles to play and some of us aren't the leads. So, I mean, that's my thoughts pretty much on Back to the Future 2. I haven't gotten to the third one yet, but I'm kind of curious it looks like it's in the West and I heard it was the worst of the three. So that's a little bit disappointing. You know, this is the Horace Grant or Dennis Rodman of the Bulls teams. You know, this is the third banana, but it is in the West and does seem like they made them back to back. I believe they, they wrote and directed and, you know, put them in the can together. as kind of a two parter. So that was, so, I mean, it's got to have the same similar vibes or at least I would hope. And we'll see if they get back home and, you know, write the past and 
don't interact with each other in a way that, you know, the time space continuum rips open. Although, I mean, this movie is kind of hopeful and, you know, the score is kind of just this uplifting kind of, yeah, we can change the past and affect our future and go on a wild journey and still be home for dinner kind of thing. Like no one really, no one gets fucked over or no one's life really gets ruined. I mean, except Biff who in this movie, it turns out is a murderer, which, you know, plot twist that someone (laughs) that Biff went from just a bully to someone that, killed Marty's father just so he could marry his mother later when he was the richest guy on earth and that he could try to murder Marty. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's a, it's a pretty big step, but you know, it's believable. Biff is just, you know, seething idiocy and kind of stupidity and kind of, he's kind of lizard brained, you know, the whole time you can kind of see all his emotions on his face. He's got a terrible poker face. Although it was weird that they had a little scene where he's at home and he's like, his grandma's yelling at him and he's yelling back kind of in a defensive way because he feels like he's being attacked. And you get this little five minute window into Biff's life where it definitely seems like his parents are either dead or abandoned him. And his grandma's his only kind of lifeline. And she seems like just one of the worst people on the face of the earth that he came from kind of this hard background. And for a second, you feel bad for Biff, which is really strange because they've already established uh, before this, that he would murder people if he got the opportunity. And he's been nothing but just an utter dickhead to Marty for a solid one and a half movies. So it, it makes you wonder that if you get into anyone's life a little bit, if they show you, you know, the background or how they got that way or if there's kind of a little bit of a sad story or if even they're a little bit charming that we kind of root for them because i found myself quickly all the negativity and the fuck biff in me kind of went by the wayside and i kind of just wanted to give him a hug at that point which is nonsensical but i think there's something innate in people where we just want to connect with the person on screen no matter who they are if you tell us their story we're going to try to relate and i think that's why you know people see the henry hills and goodfellas and the sam rostines and casino and you know jordan belfer and i'm naming also of course ac movies because he just he's fascinated with terrible people but i mean you look at the top mo- top tv shows of all time and you know we're rooting for tony soprano or walter white or Jamie Lannister and Cersei Lannister to be together, even though they're brother and sisters fucking. So, man, this went off on a tangent. But uh, yeah, basically, if you put someone charming or we get your backstory on screen, we're going to root for you, regardless of how terrible you are in reality. So I think that's a good point to stop. And we'll see how this sounds. <laughs>